When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H E L P. I want to win the league, but I want to win it better. You can understand that, can't you? Yes. Good luck. So he's almost like having a second captain in the team. <laughs> second captain, first captain, whatever. Epic sporting weekend alert to kick off today's Irish Times second captain's podcast. Ireland, Wales and Six Nations. Man City versus Leicester at the top of the Premier League. Can Leicester finally be knocked off their perch? Chelsea, Man United. Closer to the middle of the Premier League these days. Mm-hmm. Mid-table clash. I'm sure Manchester United fans will take umbrage, but if you take the two teams, the mean position of both teams, you're in around 8th, 9th. So, it's, <laughs> so okay. with top place, bottom, that's a mid-table clash. <laughs> yeah. what you Broncos, uh, why have I forgotten who the Broncos are playing in Super Panthers, Bowl 50? Carolina Panthers. That's yeah. it, the, the much favoured Carolina Panthers in San Francisco. And if that's not enough, you've got the Dubai Desert Classic Golf to keep you ticking over. Mayo Dublin in the National League on Saturday night. It's going to be big, Murph. There is, big well, big I mean, if, you're, if, if you want to go full sports nerd on it, there is 2 a.m. Saturday night, Sunday morning, uh, Warriors versus the Oklahoma City Thunder, the two the greatest shows on whatever they play basketball on, uh, the the two greatest shows on courts yeah. uh, on uh, Steph Curry against uh, Russell Westbrook and Kevin Durant. J- I'm just throwing it in there in case you know there there are some obsessive completists out there who would you know tweet me and you to say that we forgot something there. So there is that also. Yeah, and Steph Curry did. Wow, 51 points last Score night. Score 51 points last night with like 11 three-pointers. or Seven in the first quarter. quarter. Again, we probably talked too much Steph Curry there on. It's also Ken Hurdy's birthday weekend. Happy birthday, Kenny. Happy birthday, Ken. Thanks, Owen. Maybe we could... Yeah, go on. I hope that doesn't assist anyone to commit identity theft. <laughs> <laughs> I haven't told I haven't told them... The year. The, oh, no, You've the, narrowed it down to four possible days. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I haven't said the exact day. It could be today. It could be tomorrow, Saturday, Sunday. Could well, be Monday, but you're celebrating it early. Who knows? Yeah. yeah. Basically, it's, it's in between podcasts. So it's definitely, it's, it's since Monday, but before next Monday. So yeah. Do you worry about that a lot? Identity theft and so forth? Uh, no, not, not until now. <laughs> Existential dread at your uh, withering body? Well, I'm, I'm in my mid-30s. I, I don't, I don't mm. see any withering. Mm. I'm actually... Mid, from mid, where I'm sitting, get. I'm in pretty good shape. Burgeoning, if anything. Who any text messages today? Yeah, from uh, people or organizations that you'd like to share? 
Um, yeah, I got, I got, you know, my my parents sent me a message. Um, nice. We are now narrowing down the exact birth family, day, unfortunately. Uh, whatever. Oh no, Jesus! Harvest Moon Chinese restaurant. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know how they have my. No, it's my birthday, but somehow they do. Right. They're yeah. offering me twenty euros off. They probably have your credit card details. Yeah, they probably do. So, uh, <laughs> so yeah. Look, um, how about we combine a Super Bowl party with Kennedy <laughs> Kennedy birthday party? That sounds Ken, like Ken has to throw the, Ken has to, has to throw the party though. Yeah. Um, I can't do that actually. I'm not, no, no. Yeah, you're busy, are you? I am. I am yeah, busy, busy again. every year. It's you're, another... you're never bit too busy to turn up at our house for our Super Bowl parties, but yeah, it's so it could be, busy it could be another okay. Owen and Murph duet. Oh, God, this that this was weekend. awful last. Year. I mean, that was t- that was amazing last year. It was lovely. One man who will be at the Super Bowl in the flesh. No need for parties for this guy at the not particularly beloved Levi's Stadium which mm. is where it's on. It's about 45 miles from San Francisco. Is U.S. Murph, who's going to join us live from Radio Row in just a little while. Simon is going to tell us about the Six Nations team selections floating in today. So I, um, well, except for Joe Schmidt's 23, which will be announced tomorrow. But any juicy news lines today? Nothing but juicy storylines. Oh. Well, Wales picked their team earlier in the week. Yep. Didn't have to. A supreme declaration of confidence, as usual, from it, Gatland. Well, isn't that what um, Mind games. What Trap used to do with, with the Irish team? Yeah, yeah well, everyone, he picked it in months in advance. In months in advance. It's somewhere in January, he says, look, we all know the starting team for the Euros. Didn't quite work out. So Gatland, yeah. Yeah, he's gone for pretty much the most physical man available in every position possible with Jamie Roberts, George North, Jonathan Davies, and even six foot three winger Tom James is back after a long exile. Um, he's had a few pops at Gatland in the past. He's moved around a bit. Uh, he's walked out of camps when he didn't get picked. So he's a little bit of a surprise selection. But the rest of them, the likes of Luke Charteris, Warburton, we knew they were all going to get selected. But when you see it, no matter what Ireland pick on Friday, Wales are going to have the more physical, more powerful team. It's one of the aspects of Gatlin's management style that I quite like, that he is so confident in himself and what he does that he will bring back somebody like that who has had a pop at him on more than one occasion in the past. I think that's it's good to be the bigger man there. Yeah, he's spoken about it this week, saying Tom James has grown up as a person, as a rugby player. Some people just need to travel and have a think about the world and about themselves, and Tom James come back as a superior rugby player. England? Well, what, England, what uh, Eddie Jones, I think we're all excited about what he will do off the pitch and on the pitch, but um, he has, he's picked basically as many prickly, explosive, annoying characters as you can <laughs> squeeze into a 15-man rugby team, with Dylan Hartley obviously as captain, a yep. spokesperson, uh, Danny Kerr's got the nod ahead of Ben Youngs, the likable Ben Youngs, gets put to the bench um, <laughs> for being too likable. Um, Owen Farrell is in there, squeezed in at 12, not his best position. Um, so that means Ford continues at 10. Ford hasn't been in the form he was in uh, last year for Bath. Um, and obviously the World Cup possibly ended, because ended a little strangely for yeah. all of them. Yeah, possibly because George Ford's confidence is cruelly undermined at the vital stage in his entire rugby career. That might have had something to do with it. Yeah, and um, I'm sure Eddie Jones would have picked Chris Ashton if he hadn't been banned. We're not counting George Ford and, and Owen Farrell as... No, George Ford is... Uh, a nice guy. Well, Owen Farrell is actually He's quite prickly. Quite prickly, yeah. Um, all the Lions players, the Irish uh, guys who toured with him, said they actually were quite surprised to find he was a, a nice person. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, we all go on uh, demeanour on a rugby field. Yeah, demeanour on a rugby also, field. And in Dylan Hartley's case, you know, uh, actual actions. Months and months of bans. 54 yeah. weeks worth of bans. Do you want to mention France? Is there anything in France? Well, what France have done, Guy Noves has made as many changes as he possibly could. So there's four debutants in there. There's only five remaining from the World Cup loss to New Zealand. 
Um, and he's brought in even the likes of Virami Vakatawa, the Fijian winger, who's basically a sevens player, and he's parachuted him in from the sevens scene. Um, it's People don't recognize a lot of the players, a couple hmm. of Stade Francais players in there. That's he, encouraging, he, he, no? It's yeah, encouraging I think it could potentially be really, really good. And for whatever, forever bad Toulouse have been over the last year or two under him, ultimately they were the original entertainers in European club rugby, and that was under Guy Noves, and he has that philosophy still, even if it wasn't working in, in the last few and years. Part there's the, no reason yeah. to suggest it couldn't be sparked again part, at, at international level. Part of the reason it stopped working, which is something maybe we overlooked on Monday and has been overlooked, is, is really that the other clubs just got a lot more money. <laughs> Toulouse were a well-run club for a long time, then these other clubs came in, some of which were well-run, some of which were, were, were coming from nowhere, and all had a ton of cash. And suddenly everything changed. If that hadn't happened, maybe to lose it still yeah. be riding. And out. they always remained in the top two or three and yeah. made a lot of top fourteen finals. So it's not as if they slipped off the face of the earth or anything. All right, Matt Williams is ready to talk to us, Matt. I'm looking at this Welsh team and seeing vast experience in key positions. The usual monstrous back line is in place. And my favourite Welsh player, Justin Tipperick, is picked to start in the back row. Tell me that I'm wrong to have a, a bit of a bad feeling about Sunday. Look, I'm looking at that side, even as you speak, and uh, probably the only guy I question there is Anscombe at fullback, and I know they've they've got some injuries there, but it, it's a very good side. It's got a powerful bench, you know, Gethin Jenkins on the bench, Bradley Davis, Dan Lydiot, you know, Bruce Priestland. There, there's some good players on the bench. Powerful second row with Chartres, and, you know, Alan Wynne-Jones has, has been a, you know, I'd use the term, a great player for Wales for many, many years. And Warburton, Tepiric and uh, Falatau, it's an excellent back row. There's not a lot of holes in that side. And it's probably got a a bit of dog and determination about them. You know, they've got a bit of blood and a bit of desire to get square against Ireland from last year. And and the way they had a lot of bad luck in the, in the World Cup, uh, I, I think Wales are going to be a very, very tough opponent uh, on Saturday afternoon. What about that second row then? We've lost Paul O'Connell, obviously. Ian Henderson's out with injury. So we have Devin Toner there, who has been uh, first choice for a long time, but always alongside Paul O'Connell. And we always saw with Dunnock O'Callum back in Munster and in Ireland days, when Paul O'Connell didn't play, he looked half the player. And we've yet to see how Devin Toner will respond to that. And then alongside him, we may have Mike McCarthy. We may have Dunnock O'Ryan, who's who was out for two years with injury, came back during the World Cup, hasn't played a whole lot of rugby, hasn't been at the level he was before that injury. And then Ulton Delan, who's kind of come out of nowhere with Connacht, a really explosive player, but by no means experienced uh, at either provincial or, or obviously international level. I've got to say that Dev Toner, every time I've questioned him, I've done it a number of times in his career, and uh, to Dev Toner's great credit, he's risen on every occasion. I, I thought his performance in the World Cup when he was when he was tossed aside then brought back, I thought it was a, an immense performance. And and I think he's ready to lead. I, I, I'm become a, a fan of Dev's and, and the the way he overcomes adversity and, and I, I, I've got a lot of faith in him. And I, I personally think they'll go with McCarthy. I, I, I would do I would myself because he's an experienced player and I think that's what this team needs, especially the tight five with so many guys missing. And, and young Delan and, and, you know, Donica Ryan, I've always been a fan of Donica's. I just don't think he's got enough runs under his belt. But if you pick Do- uh, Donica, he, he needs a bit of good luck because he's had so much bad luck with injury recently. You know, now they're, they're three guys that we're, we're probably not 
giving enough praise to. They're three very hard workers, real, really uh, tough guys to get around. And Dev is still brilliant in the line-out and has improved around the field enormously. But you'd have to say, again, if you look at, at the second rows they're up against, you know, Chartres, again, a Dev Toner, uh, similar type of player to Dev, you know, massive man, six foot ten, giant line-out player. And, and Alan Wynne-Jones, that's, that's the key to that battle to me. He's a great caller of the lineouts. He's the a, he's a one that looks and leads and can react to, to what Ireland are doing. And if you remember last year, Wales just threw to two, and he was calling it all day. Ireland had their defensive structures, which are always very thorough, thought out, and he just kept throwing to two. And they won all the ball, and it just denied Ireland a lot of their impetus. They couldn't contest at the lineout, which they like to do. So Dev, I would suspect, will be the line-out caller, uh, and he's going to have to step up in, in the fact that he hasn't done that on, on many occasions for Ireland. So, again, while I'm, I'm not writing off the Irish players, I think uh, Wales have them in that area. What about the team that, um, that Joe Schmidt should pick here, um, Matt? Do you think, <laughs> would you, if you were Joe Schmidt, would you be reacting to what Wales have picked or is it just literally having to deal with all the injuries that Ireland have? You actually can't worry too much about the personnel and the other team. I certainly wouldn't be reacting to the Welsh selection. Uh, Wales during the World Cup had a lot of injuries. They just had to make do. And their team, I thought, played exceptionally well under great difficulty. You know, I really hope Joe Schmidt looks to the future and says we we have to change the way we're playing it's not working it didn't work it factually didn't work in the world cup we just have to to take that pill and swallow it and pick a team that would that will develop and grow especially this back line the three-quarter line has been poor since since brian uh, O'Driscoll retired and that's very difficult he's a great player and you don't fill the boots of a great player easily but during the World Cup, playing people out of position, such as Jared Payne, didn't work. And and I've got respect for Jared as a player. I thought he played very well, has played very well for Ulster in, in recent months. I thought he played particularly well as a fullback. Now, if if Rob Carney is out, and some people are even saying even if even if he's fit, they would pick Payne. Now, maybe that's the 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 decision. Uh, that has to be made if this team is going to play some more attacking rugby that they need to do to ch- to find a way to create space and use the space, especially along that three-quarter line, because I don't believe Jared is the long-term answer as the 13 for Ireland. And I know Joe has said he's not going to pick ring rows. I know he's already said that, and I totally disagree with that. And I'm not just going along because Brian O'Driscoll said it, but... When Brian first started, his first game for Ireland was my last game as coach of New South Wales. New South Wales played Ireland. I remember a lot of things about that day, but I don't remember one thing about Brian O'Driscoll. He was anonymous on the field. But in the, in the next few weeks when he played for Ireland against Australia, he played really well. It takes players a long time to adjust to being comfortable at international level. Henshaw has taken a number of, of matches to adjust. I thought his last game against, or, or his game against France, where he took Fafana apart, was fantastic. His footwork was great, and he's, he's showing he's being more comfortable in that. There is no point just putting a, a gap 
a stopgap on that outside centre position, especially you imagine you're the outside centre and everyone's saying, even Joe, Gary Ringrose is the future. He's going to be the future 13, but not this week. You know, you go out there and go, oh, well, I've got this 13 jersey for maybe two weeks, three weeks. When have I got it? It should have been a decision that's made now. And I think that's a, a bit indicative of where the, the, the Irish team and the selections are. There's a lot of sort of protecting, and I understand that. I've burned a coach where you're just saying, look, winning is better than losing. If they win the championship, you're, you're short of success and you keep the job and you can move forward. But there's got to be a bit of bravery because last year's championship was fool's gold. Didn't take us anywhere. So you've got your nine, you know, Mar- uh, 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 Murray at, at, at nine. You've got Johnny Sexton at ten. Obviously, they're, they're your, your key players. But what's going to happen in that three-quarter line is the key. And also picking some people on form. You know, I would bring Andrew Trimble back into that side because I think he's playing really, really good rugby. I thought he was pretty unlucky during the World Cup. And Isham, what a man of character he is, and I'd bring him in. And I would blood some young guys into that back line. The issue with the, that analysis, though, Matt, is that it, it's entirely predicated upon a premise that Joe Schmidt fundamentally disagrees with. He doesn't think that it was fool's gold last year. He sees a, a type of game plan and selection process that's brought Ireland to the brink of a third Six Nations title in a row. And the reason that we lost in the World Cup was because four or five of our best players were injured. Yeah, look, I, I and you're, I would argue having, that. You have no joke. truck with I that. Would argue that. Yeah. I, I fundamentally disagree with that, and I think that the, the more that the Irish public buy that, and the more the 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 uh, rugby community buy it, the more certain we are to hit the next World Cup in Japan and get smashed. Look, the the Northern Hemisphere got exposed very very badly by the Southern Hemisphere. Argent, and when we say, oh, it's Australia, South Africa, and, and New Zealand. Look at Argentina. Look at the change in what Argentina brought to that tournament. And they flogged Ireland. Now, that's uh, the Irish-Argentinian games over 10 years have been fantastic battles, but they've been arm wrestles. And the, the radical change that Argentina brought to their game proved beyond doubt that that is the only way to move forward at international rugby. And to not do it is to just say, OK, we're quite happy to fall in, to be a quarter-finalist and go out again in Japan. And unless they commence now, not not six weeks before that tournament, that's what's going to happen. That tournament was a failure, and it was a failure on a far deeper scale than the Irish media have said, because everyone loves Joe. And he's a lovely bloke, and he's a very good coach. But right now, he's off track. And there really, there's not a lot of people bringing him to task on what's occurred. And without attacking the man, that's not what I want. He's a great guy and he's done a lot for Irish rugby. But right now, the way that Irish team is playing, is unless there's a change, it's setting us up for failure in four years. Well, I would say we're certainly going to fail in four years if four or five of our best players are injured again. It sounds like you're not having any truck with that idea. And maybe we're harping too much on about the World Cup here, but it is interesting that you make that point from far that you feel that Schmidt's not getting criticised and definitely there is a sense that he's done so much good in Irish rugby that I do think people are a little bit afraid to say mean things about him. So it's interesting to hear you say this, but surely any team missing almost all of their best players and their leaders are going to suffer badly no matter what style of play they implement. Look, there's no doubt the team lost 
great players. There's no, there's no two ways about that. But in, in the, in the since since November 2014, that team has only scored more than two tries on one occasion, and that's against Tier One countries. You know, that's not going to win you. That's not going to beat the Southern Hemisphere teams. You've got to score three tries to beat the Southern Hemisphere teams. The only time they scored four tries was against Scotland in the last round of the 2015 Championship. And let's remember, that 2015 Championship was won by a whisker. And it wasn't the attack that won it. It was the fantastic defensive record of the, of the Irish side that won that. The Irish defensive record in the last year's Six Nations Championship was well and far more than, more than half of the nearest uh, opponent. What that Irish side did not do and did not do from the start was have an attacking system that could create space against a well-organised defensive line. And Argentina showed that. More than any other game, Argentina showed that. And then also what Argentina showed was their, their very competent attacking system ran holes in the Irish defensive system. Now, whether you've got... Uh, if, you, if you've got a green jersey on and you've been a professional footballer for a number of years, you should be out there making your tackles. And what failed that day was the defensive system. Of course, the, the Argentinians read it. They got out wide and scored those first those three tries in the first few minutes and it was all over Red Rover. And then we heard that it was supposedly the, the missed, uh, convert, a missed penalty kick at a certain point was the, was the turning point of the match. And that was, you know, I, I again, fundamentally disagree with that. You let in three tries and you can't score your own and that's been happening for more than 10 games, you've got a problem. And they got, this Irish team's got a serious problem with being able to attack. And I, I've got to say, I tend to find I'm the lone voice out there saying this because everyone's like, man, you can't say anything about Joe Schmidt. He's too nice a bloke. He's a great guy and he's got a fantastic record, but he's making a mistake, in my opinion, with his selections and he's making a mistake, in my opinion, with the attacking systems that he's putting out on that field. And he's done it for over a year. Matty, he's been in three competitions with Ireland. He's won two of them, and he lost in the quarterfinal of another. And the reason, I look back at that game about a month ago again, and the reason we lost is our defence was absolutely terrible. We actually scored a couple of good tries. So saying Joe Schmidt's going like that his whole strategy is wrong, it just doesn't fit with Irish rugby history. You know, we've won the last two championships. That's the best we've ever done. And, and it is a fantastic... A fantastic achievement, fantastic achievement, and I love the Six Nations Championship. Mate. I'm not, I'm not criticising that, but it's proved to be fool's gold. And if, if we're talking about facts, that's why you're pulling out my facts. Here's the fact: if one of the teams, England, the home team, didn't even get out of their pool, the Six Nations as a tournament has deteriorated so markedly that it's heartbreaking. There is not one word in the Australian or New Zealand media about the Six Nations. People are not watching it. They can't sell the TV rights down here. No one wants to buy it because it's not entertaining. It's not attacking rugby. It's not the way the game is being played. The Six Nations is not rewarding bonus points. That's been going on for 15 years. And unfortunately, the teams that are in the Six Nations competition are reaping that reward. Italy haven't developed. Scotland are trying their hardest, but they haven't got the, the players. The style of rugby that Ireland and England were playing, I think England will change with Eddie, but it's never going to beat Australia, South Africa, uh, New Zealand or Argentina. Matt, if Ireland... They have to... Ch- 
Yeah. Sorry, man. If if Ireland were to win this Six Nations title, to win three Six Nations titles in a row, by winning four games, losing one, defending well, not scoring many tries, and not really using any of the new young players like Gary Ringrose, would you consider that a success or a failure? Mate, oh, to me, and, and I'm trying to explain this to, to all your listeners, you're out in, in the back of... Uh, uh, Dublin there on Six Nations night, and the teams the teams had a, you know, it's like, it's like when when the Irish football team beat Germany one nil, you know, who gives a rat's whether how they got it? It's in the back of the net we won, and that's the way a lot of people look at at international sport. We win, it's it's absolutely sensational. Let's have a few beers. We lose, it's a disaster. The reality is that that last Six Nations. And during that Six Nations, I was saying this, I'm saying, guys, this isn't going to win you. It's not, you're in trouble. You're in trouble. So, so down in the South, people are saying they're never going to do anything because they're not playing the style of rugby that's going to beat these teams. Like, can't they see that? If you go and win the Six Nations Championship, it's going to look great in the record books. And the boys are going to feel fantastic. The fans are going to be great. And that team is not going to have developed an inch. And, and unless you start saying, what's our real goal here? What's our, what's our real goal? And if the goal is the Six Nations, let's kick the ball. Let's, let's see all the box kicks from uh, nine. Let's, let's just kick the ball down the field. We'll take our, our points. We'll do cross-field kicks to, for, to the wingers to score because we can't run through them. We'll probably get away with some of it. And I don't think they will this year because the draw is tough. But, I don't, but if they did, that's great. Will that beat New Zealand? No. Argentina will still beat you by five tries. So that wouldn't be a success in your book to win the Six Nations that way if you were to win it again? No. No, no, definitely not. The team has to embrace the world stage, not the Six Nations. The, the, the World Cup is, is a pretty even field, and it's proved where, where Ireland were or are, and they've got to change. And that this, is, this is where you've got to do it. In, at international level, in the big days, you've got to change because that's what, what happens when you go into a World Cup. You, you've got all these different things that you've got to deal with, and you've got to be really content with the style of rugby you played. And again, we take Argentina. We spoke about this during the World Cup. They started four years ago with all their development teams in their ages playing all these this, that style of rugby. They brought it into their international team, and they failed perceivedly in the in the championship, and they failed and they failed. Bang! They beat South Africa. Bang, they beat Australia and they pushed New Zealand in New Zealand and they had a, an absolutely fabulous World Cup. And if they weren't as exhausted as they were with that draw, they would have pushed Australia even, even further. And they played really, really good rugby against Australia. If Ireland take the same approach, they could have an immense World Cup in four years. If they go down, go down now and say, let's take the Six Nations by a kicking game, mate, I, I, I would be very, very sad. Matt, great to talk to you. Always a different perspective. Listen, great stuff. Thanks, Mill. Thanks, guys. Every so often, I'm on the bus and I suddenly turn around to bite someone. John Hayes, I'm talking about, Aaron. Yeah. John Hayes. Now, I always thought that was ridiculous. He had won the victory over himself. He loved Brendan Rogers. On sight. That's where it goes from. On sight. Thanks a lot, Pepe. How much do wanna give a fuck? Fair to say anybody could have managed those guys? No, of course not. Let me show you right now for you give it up. Ah!
All right there, typically frank stuff from Matt Williams. I mean, you don't sound too convinced by, by Matty's criticisms of Joe Schmidt. Interesting that when I pushed him on that, he said, well, no, it wouldn't be. If we, if we win the Six Nations and we win it playing the wrong way, then no, I wouldn't consider it a success, says Matt. Well, first of all, I think it's, I always love hearing from Matty because he's connected enough to Ireland to have really strong opinions and really care about how we do. He's coached here, he's coached in Scotland, coached in Ulster and Leinster. But also, he ultimately lives in Australia. He is an Australian and was involved in Australian coaching before he ever came up here. So he has enough of a connection to understand us, but also then he's far enough away to have that distant perspective and sometimes the clarity that comes with that or just a different angle on it. You know, you, Ireland's such a small little rugby culture and even, you know, the, the, the Six Nations is a small little rugby culture. As we saw in the World Cup, you know, we, we kind of fool ourselves at, at times about how great the competition is or how high the standard of rugby is. But I don't so think you, you, you agree with the specifics with of the... Not about Joe Schmidt. Person. I mean, if we were talking about a coach who had no history of ever playing great rugby, then you might have a point there. But Joe Schmidt, in every other job besides the Ireland job, uh, his teams have played, they've probably been the most entertaining team in those competitions that they played. And uh, Shane Horgan's made this point in our show a couple of times there are opportunities there for Irish players to express themselves and to use their skills and quite often they don't take that chance whether it's out of fear or lack of trust in their own skill or also just that the Irish players aren't as skillful maybe as what Joshman has worked with in the past. Yeah, but uh, so if you hold up what he's done in the past as, well, no, he does play this brilliant expansive rugby, what's the difference? I mean, the difference surely is that he doesn't have the players all the time, therefore it's not... It's it's not a case of right. He's this is how he play, and in due t- in in time, he'll Ireland will start playing like this. The problem is not going away. The problem that stops him from playing like that with Ireland is not going away. That is that he doesn't have the players. So I mean, I don't think that's but, but they haven't played dull rugby in every game under Joe Schmidt. Uh, they were brilliant against Scotland last year. They were brilliant against France the year before when we needed to score tries and go back into that game. They were brilliant against New Zealand when we saw it as a one-off shot at history to beat these guys. They played a reasonable amount um, of exciting stuff in the first Six Nations, actually, which is kind of overlooked a little bit. Uh, I think they did go into their shell a little tactically last, last time. I think defences like Wales and England can make Ireland look a limited team, which they are at times due to a lack of explosive ball carriers and, and that limits your options and what you can do. I think it's this horrible word gets used all the time, but pragmatism is at the heart of what Joe Schmidt does. Under Leinster and Claremont, he knew he had the, the personalities and the, and the skill to deliver the game plan that he wanted. But I think under certain weather conditions in the Six Nations and with certain limitations on players, he, he has to cut his cloth to measure. Listen, if, if, if there were 40 or 50 countries playing rugby uh, you know, at the absolute top level, I would say winning the Six Nations is in and of itself a good thing. Like that's that's the competition we play in every year. Go and win that. That's good. But that's not the situation. There are nine. There are ten teams. Even discard Italy, really, because like they're going. They have been going nowhere for five years now. But the there are nine or ten teams playing rugby at the top level. So if Maddie is saying, and like we were all standing outside the Millennium Stadium in Cardiff. Uh, on the back of three Southern Hemisphere teams already through to the uh, World Cup semi-finals, wa- waltzing through, and then Scotland obviously nearly uh, uh, nearly beat Australia. But I mean, that's being held up as like, oh, the Six Nations are still competitive. Like they still lost the game. You know, they're once in a lifetime performance. They still lost the game. There's no Six Nations team in the the last four of the World Cup 
uh, in a uh, in England in, when the tournament is being held in our backyard in our weather conditions yeah in although our, it was very good weather for the World Cup yeah as it turned out but you know I don't think you can just ignore it I mean what Maddie is saying is that it's not like there's a huge vast you know 10 different rugby cultures there's a, a rugby culture where they play really good rugby and they're successful and then there's another rugby culture that we've ended up on top of over the last two years that's just being left behind completely being left behind I mean I don't like obviously it's a success if you win the competition that you're in but what are you actually you know what are you playing the game for you know if if there's nine teams to play it and the four, there are four teams that are better than you but not just better than you like way better than you playing a different sport nearly I mean I'd like I'd I think New Zealand are playing a different sport and then the rest are utterly beatable by Ireland, England, Wales. It's just we've never done it in. But it's but it's amazing. It really matters. Yeah, but it's amazing that we're talking like. Well, it does really matter. Rugby in Australia the Six in Nations. The it does. It does yeah, really matter. Bo- in the Six we both Nations got. We both got through. We both got through the group stages. Uh, you know what I mean? Australia still got through. I mean, we, we, like when it actually really matters. You know, like in the yeah, but, yeah, but, yeah, but hold on. Uh, two and a half years ago, we would have said it actually really matters in the Six Nations because we hadn't won it. We'd only won it once in so long. But uh, here we so are. The, the World Cup has shown has shown it up. Like, his, like we we all watched the World Cup. We all saw that the four Southern Hemisphere, like Japan, like South Africa, took their eye off the ball in the group stages to the extent that they lost to Japan, and still, when it came down to the crunch, they, you know, they they could still beat Wales. You know, like mm. that's just the way. It, that's when it when it really matters. They can beat us any time they like. And, there's, and there's absolutely like, no argument that the Southern Hemisphere teams are better than Northern Hemisphere, and that it, it isn't actually just Northern Southern Hemisphere. The European teams were way worse in their style of play than Japan or Canada or Fiji or Argentina. You know, it wasn't just like the big three down south. Um, and there is an argument that the Six Nations damages those Six Nations' chances in every other competition that they enter. I think there's something in that. But on the basic argument of Joe Schmidt and the job he's done with Ireland. Phenomenal, absolutely phenomenal. And we always said before the World Cup, if Johnny Sexton got injured, it damaged our chances massively. Our defence was also terrible in that game, but you kind of feel we got to within a point, if Johnny Sexton had been playing, it might have been the difference against Argentina. The Irish Times Second Captain's Football Podcast will be out today. That's... Yeah, <laughs> they have asked for that, really. Well, you can laugh. the World Cup. I'm a little bit of an idealist. But having said that, I want to be like me. You don't know what you're talking about. What did you know? I'd like to stay alive for six days. I'd say it to your face, I'll say it to oh, you now. I went down to Anfield and we'll see them, won't we? What you doing down here, you shawny man? Well, Richie Sadler was in Studio Own to talk a little bit about Leicester City. They're obviously playing Man City this weekend in uh, Title Decider. Yeah. <laughs> um, we also talked uh, to Ed Malian, uh, who was there to see Barcelona thrash Valencia 7-0. Oh, yeah. Saw Gary night. Neville after this. Somewhat sticky um, night for Gary Neville. Sticky press conference. Yeah. Um, it's, you know, Gary Neville has obviously got one very powerful model as to how to handle these press conferences. But... I think he needs to incorporate some other models as well. Alex Ferguson's handling of the press was great, but not everybody can necessarily do it the same way. It came from a certain position that uh, yeah. was hard wood. Yeah. Uh, I mean, there were, you know, back in the day, Alex Ferguson used to hang out with journalists. He used to go oh, drinking yeah. with them, you know, uh, go golfing with them. <laughs> like, thought, you know, when he needed them. Yeah. And, and obviously then things changed as as the, the gap between their status it widened into into chasm. Well, you know why? You know the moment it started changing again. Uh, when journalists started wearing 
you know, t-shirts and oh yeah, oh, yeah. once they stop wearing the shit their shirt and tie in yeah alex ferguson and alex ferguson and brian murphy's dad at one on the issue oh yeah <laughs> on, the, on the issue of on. uh you know don't go out without a coat and tie you know what kind of animal would come in here wearing jeans uh, that's uh that's uh that speaking of brian murphy super bowl 50 is just a couple of days away and he's right in the thick of it Yes, we have to say it. Remember, this is just a football game, no matter who wins or loses. I am deeply sorry for my irresponsible and selfish behavior. You're being extremely truculent. Whatever truculent means, if that's good, I'm there. Strike three called, and the Giants have won the World Series in Detroit. All right, let's get over live to Radio Row to check in with Super Bowl Murph. Hi, Super Bowl Murph. Super Bowl Murph. <laughs> I'll take it. Uh, given that I met my bride at the Super Bowl, as you guys know from that legendary uh, side door story, remember we talked about oh, yeah. it a few weeks ago? Yeah, 21 years ago. So here we are again at the. I was telling somebody, when you come to Radio Row, man, it's like, yes, I'm in San Francisco, my hometown, your guys' adopted hometown in America. But I could be at the Phoenix Super Bowl, the Dallas Super Bowl, the New Orleans Super Bowl, the Miami Super Bowl, the New York Super Bowl, because the NFL does an amazing, has an amazing way of taking these convention centers and turning them into like these just big homogenous troughs that we all feed at. So it's all Radio Row, the signage, the NFL merchandise, the guests peddling wares up and down. It's just kind of the same. It's fun as heck. But it's uh, you know it's Super Bowl week, man. It's what we're it's what America has evolved into. What sort of beatest celebs have been wandering around Radio Row? Well, okay. I mean, let's get into it, right? Uh, well, we just talked to former Denver Bronco wide receiver Vance Johnson. You guys remember the Three Amigos? You remember them? We had we had a Three Amigos here during the '94 World Cup, Brian. But I, I presume <laughs> they're not the Three Amigos you're referring to. Who were the Three Amigos in the '94 World Cup? Uh, Phil Babb, Jason McAteer. And Gary Kelly. They were seen as the three sort of young lads. Uh, people did make the point subsequently that Roy Keane was around the same age, but Roy Keane wasn't really a three amigo type. Wasn't going to be pictured <laughs> wearing a sombrero. That wasn't you his, tried to, his they vibe. Tried to make him, they tried to make him an amigo and he flew half the peace sign at him, right? That's what he did, right? So, that's a, no, it was the three amigos and the one angry amigo. That would yeah. be uh, the Roy Keane deal. Uh, you know, that's funny. I wonder if in one of your great, um, you know, trivia showdowns that, uh, at, that Galway Murph dominates at. Of course. Would that, be a, would that be a question that would stump some of the uh, mediocre players that they wouldn't be able to name the three amigos from the 94 Cup? No, I think, well, depending on age. I mean, anybody 30 years and over, I would judge quite harshly if they claim to be a football fan and not know the three amigos. <laughs> We're talking, that's low-hanging fruit, oh, the yeah, 94 yeah. World <laughs> Cup uh, three amigos. That's hey, back, good, to the, back to your three amigos, Brian, come on. Uh, well... Here I am. I'm on the spot here. So the, the, the remember the Denver Broncos were famous for losing Super Bowls. Uh, I don't know if you guys remember those days. Until John Elway won the one, and he didn't really win it. It was running back Terrell Davis who led it. But uh, until John Elway won that Super Bowl in a big upset over over Brett Favre and the Green Bay Packers in 1997, the Broncos were famous for losing Super Bowls. They were the team that always got there and never made it. And and that's that's when the three amigos were were thriving three different times. Vance Johnson, Mark Jackson, and Ricky Natil 
the three amigos. And if you Google them, you can see a picture of the three guys in sombreros uh, hanging out there. But anyway, we just had Vance on. He's the kind of guy like, you know, do you want to talk to Vance Johnson? Well, you know, I mean, kind of, not really. But hey, it's Radio Row. Come on by. Grab a mic, you know. Mm-hmm. So, uh, but you also have guys like, you know, we had uh, Basketball Hall of Famer Rick Barry swung by. Uh, at 6 in the morning, former Detroit Lion wide receiver Herman Moore stopped by. And don't forget, they're all peddling something. You got to be pimping something. I always talk about none of these guys are doing it for free. They're all making sure that their wares and their products are out there in this uh, orgy of consumerism. You know, like Herman Moore, the former Lions wide receiver, was promoting Quick Lane Auto Center. Uh, Vance Johnson with a very serious uh, drug addiction center that he wanted to promote. But uh, my favorite was when the legendary Marcus Allen, one of the greatest running backs who ever lived, Heisman Trophy winner at USC, Super Bowl champ with the Los Angeles Raiders, uh, when he came to promote avocados, California avocados, and tried to tell us with a straight face what his recipe for uh, over-the-top guac, guacamole. He was famous for his goal line leaps over the pile. He was a great athlete. He could leap over the pile over the top, hence the recipe for over-the-top guac. That's kind of the code word we always use for when consumerism product hawking on Radio Row runs amok. It's over-the-top guac time, because Marcus <laughs> Allen's going to tell you about California avocados, all right? <laughs> uh, yeah, it's, it's interesting what you're, what, what you're saying there about uh, how the Super Bowl, basically, it's the same party happening in different cities, but they, they, every, every, the NFL makes it the same party. The, it's the exact same thing happening, happens with, say, even something as huge as the World Cup uh, or the Olympics, that the IOC and, the, and FIFA are so big that they can just go into a city and just completely take it over, and no matter where you are... It's the exact same level of, you know, it's, it's the exact same party happening regardless of where it is in the world. And it's kind of interesting as well. That, like, I would have read a couple of pieces so far this week talking about, like, the spotlight is on San, Fr- San Francisco now. Uh, and that this is kind of a time for the, the city to be in the spotlight. I mean, is, is that something that, like, San Franciscans think about that, that you would say, right, this is a a week for where America's eyes are, are trained on us for, you know, a couple of days at least. I mean, truth of the matter is, yes, that they do. It, there is, it is a, it is a time for San Francisco to shine. I mean, I'm joking about the, the homogeneity and the sameness of it all. And once you're inside radio row or on these press conferences with the players, that is the same. That is the same bland stuff. You know, the bus rides from the, media center to the hotels you get an hour with these players who sit at these tables and literally say nothing i mean you want to talk about like wastes of time it is these these weekday morning interview sessions with the players uh but the one thing that is maybe a little different is the once you get outside the building and nowadays now with the coverage being so blanketed nfl network being on 24 hours a day ESPN trying to keep up with NFL Network, Fox Sports 1 trying to keep up with ESPN. They all have sets, outdoor sets, in our beautiful waterfront. So, so yes, the beauty shots of San Francisco, you know, these sports anchors that we see in studios all year round are now sitting there with the Bay Bridge right behind them because and I say the Bay Bridge, not the Golden Gate Bridge because everything is kind of centered down by the ferry building, which is down near what we call the Oakland-San Francisco Bay Bridge or just the Bay Bridge, which they've lit up beautifully for the occasion. They've done these new lightings of the Bay Bridge that are actually going to be permanent now. To tell you the truth, if there's anything that comes out of this, the lighting of the Bay Bridge is so gorgeous that for the first time since the two bridges were built in the mid-1930s, the Bay Bridge is making a little bit of noise at the Golden Gate Bridge. Like, the Golden Gate Bridge is always by far and away the alpha male of the two bridges. 
But the Bay Bridge lighting that they've done for the Super Bowl is so beautiful. And I drive in in the darkness for our show. So I drive in and I look across the bay and I see it. I say, oh, for the first time, the Little Brother Bridge is barking at us a little bit. So much love to the Bay Bridge. And that's in the backdrop of all these shots. So, yes, yeah, San Francisco's shining. And you sort of want it. You know how you guys feel. How you feel, Murph, about Galway. How mm, maybe Owen feels course. about Dublin. I don't know. Maybe you guys want to brag about your cities. But, yeah, I'm a little proud that these people are walking around and I'm telling them, hey, yeah, catch a cab, go to the mission, you know, go to a cool bar, go get a burrito, uh, go for a run on the Embarcadero, you know, go go bike across the Golden Gate Bridge. I believe Ken Early biked across the Golden Gate Bridge when he was here. Yeah, right? along, so, uh, yeah, there is a little bit of civic pride. Yeah, indeed, Brian. You said that none of the players are saying anything of interest. Did Cam Newton um, explore the race thread any further he had been speaking a little bit yeah, a week you know, ago it's so funny now we're, we're in this like we're talking we're, we're now joking to the point where it's like we can't even decide if the story is that it's a non-story or if the story that it's a non-story is the story of a non-story it's like we're all trying to figure out when this all started because most everybody likes cam newton but somehow some way somebody once wrote a story about cam newton is polarizing and and then kind of like well yeah is he not really everybody kind of <laughs> likes him and yeah he dances but it's not that bad especially when you compare it to like your Cassius Clays and the guys who really riled society back in the 60s Muhammad Ali so it's it's kind of this story that it's kind of like a dog chasing its own tail the media now trying to figure out if Cam Newton's polarizing behavior is a true referendum on how white America feels about black America or if it's actually not really a story at all, he is, you know, addressing it, of course, and he's saying that he doesn't think it's a deal. He's just a quarterback, and he's young, and he's having fun. And one of the stories that come is like the Panthers as a team have fun. They really are a young team. They are favored in this Super Bowl by, I think, six points, five and a half points last I saw. They're considered to be younger and maybe a little more cohesive than the Denver Broncos, so maybe their celebrations are just an offshoot of that. And their head coach, Ron Rivera, who's a good guy, kind of encourages this kind of thing. And they have a DB named Josh Norman, who's a bit of a personality, too. So so maybe Cam's just kind of part of this whole scene. So are there people out there who don't like Cam Newton? Sure. Is it because he's black? I'm sure that's the case somewhere along the way for somebody. It's a big country. There's a lot of people with a lot of different opinions. But we had Jim Nance on our show, the guy who's going to call the Super Bowl. And he is, is generally known as a conservative guy. You guys probably hear him at the U.S. Mm-hmm. Masters in golf. He's a very button-down guy. Mm-hmm. Even he was saying, I love Cam Newton. There's really nothing not to like. So Cam is, uh, is handling the week quite nicely, and so far, no kerfluffles. Yeah, I suppose the, the reason I brought up is that he was quoted last week as bringing up the issue himself, saying I'm an African-American quarterback that may scare a lot of people because I haven't seen nothing that they, compare, that they can compare me to. But I suppose, I don't know, maybe there was uh, he, he said that when he said that, and he doesn't want to get into it himself in the middle of Super Bowl week. It's, I mean, you're right, he did. He was the one who said that, and it was last week during the off week, and it was different. And, and you know, that was kicked around a little bit, and I think most people didn't really put wind in its sails. You know, I mean, most people said, well, Cam said that. And like I said, it's kind of a degree of truth to it. But that that hasn't gotten that many legs this week. I think he gave a quote yesterday saying that the Super Bowl is bigger than is bigger than anything about a black quarterback. He said white, black or green was his quote. So, yeah, that what he said last week, in fairness, was a strong quote that hasn't really carried over to week two. That hasn't really been something that people have seized upon and chewed upon. It's been a relatively quiet Super Bowl week. 
Um, our own Murph here tells me that Steph Curry apparently went to high school in North Carolina, so I presume the Bay Area is supporting the Panthers? Oh, well, I mean, the Steph Curry-Carolina Panther connection is deep, very, very deep, to the point where, yeah, he grew up in Charlotte, North Carolina. His father, Del Curry, was considered the greatest Charlotte Horner of all time. Now, you know, that's like the world's tallest midget because the Charlotte Hornets are not a decorated NBA <laughs> franchise, but Del Curry was a hell of a player and actually set all sorts of three-point shooting records for them. I mean, Steph didn't come by his talent by accident. His father was an outstanding NBA player and played his career in Charlotte. So the Currys grew up in Charlotte. Del Curry is a broadcaster for the Charlotte Hornets. So Steph comes by this Panthers thing, honestly. Now, the Panthers are a very young team. They were born in, I think, 1995, I think. I mean, geez, I was a, I was a grown man by the time the Panthers came along. But for Steph Curry... That was, what, 21 years ago? Steph's 27 years old. So he was six years old when they were born. So this whole thing is organic and real with Steph and the Panthers. And when the 49ers played the Panthers two years ago in the playoffs, and in fact, Colin Kaepernick, back when he was Colin Kaepernick, rolled into Charlotte with Jim Harbaugh as his coach, and they beat Cam Newton and the Panthers, Steph Curry did not back down. He did not do the political thing and put on a Niner jersey. He actually showed up on social media in his Panthers jersey, even though he was a warrior which you got to respect. I mean, here we are in this uh, presidential cycle of 2016. Hillary Clinton got no end of stick for when she was a senator from New York trying to pretend she was a Yankees fan after having done all these interviews when she was the first lady talking about growing up in Chicago and what a Cubs fan she was. And people were like smelling a phony a mile away, right? Mm -hmm. Well, Steph, to his credit, didn't do that. He's been a Panther guy all the way through. He wears his number 30 jersey that they sent him. He actually wore it during a shoot-around when they played in the NFC Championship. So when the video rolled on him shooting around, he was wearing his Panthers jersey. He is beyond excited for the Panthers. And yes, for sure, it makes Bay Area people who are neutral want Steph to be happy because there's nobody hotter right now than Steph Curry, who, by the way, boys, will go to the White House tomorrow with the Warriors. They're going to go meet the Prez and get their championship tour of the White House. So the things with the Warriors continue to be great, and Steph will come back. They have a huge game with the Oklahoma City Thunder on Saturday. They haven't played them yet. Kevin Durant, Russell Westbrook. And then Steph will be at the game Sunday. I'm sure you'll see him on the TV broadcast because mm. uh, Steph is Panther fan one. Uh, right. We, we have to get a prediction from you, but we also need an answer very quickly to one more question. Uh, a listener, Jackie Steed, has got in touch. Only thing US Murph needs to clarify this week, is he going to the game or is it Viva La Vida time at Doug and Lisa's? <laughs> oh, <laughs> retro t- tweet. Like it. Your two things. Great two-pronged answer. Yeah. Doug and Lisa are back. 2016. Wow. Hashtag Doug and Lisa. The party is on. (laughs) It is the same deal. And in fact, I finally revealed to Lisa just the other day because her son Mason plays on my second grade basketball team. I said, you you do know you're a bit of a celebrity in the Republic of Ireland. Hashtag Doug and Lisa. Every Irish sporting fan wants to know what a true American Super Bowl party is like. (laughs) They want to eat the nachos at Doug and Lisa's house. She was delighted and said, we're throwing another one. So uh, if anybody's in the hood, just knock on the door and pretend like you were invited. I'm sure it's an open door policy. Uh, Lisa will be a little more relaxed this year. Her New England Patriots are not in the game. So she uh, will be concentrating on serving the, the beer, the nachos, the wings, the pizza, etc. But, but... Your boy, U.S. Murph, will not be at Doug and Lisa's because I am going to the game. All right. So I will be there with the media credential. But my beautiful and talented bride and my two little boys will go to hashtag Doug and Lisa's, and they will represent the Murphys and give you a full report when it's over. Brian, your prediction? 
I think it's going to be closer than we think. Most people think Carolina's going to blow them out because they're young and Cam Newton and Denver and Peyton Manning are old. But I love defense, defense, defense. Defense wins championships. So I think Denver keeps it closer. So Carolina wins, maybe even within the spread. Michael, 20 to 17, Carolina. Ooh. As always, boys, don't hold me to it. Brian, enjoy the game. It's going to be great. And hit the road early. That The traffic out to Santa Clara is going to be a nightmare, I'd say. So, uh, get, get give us idea. police escorts and the media buses. We're going to be, we're going to be oh. waving at the poor suckers stuck in traffic. So I want you guys to have your own Doug and Lisa party, boys, and enjoy the Super Bowl. Thanks, Brian. All right, take care. The Murph and Mackey for most welcome Irishman of the year goes to Owen McDevitt. Owen, 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 Owen McDevitt. From Ireland's second captain show. All up in the interweb. Owen McDevitt. Worldwide. Second captain. Those guys, are, those guys are like family to me, man. Owen McDevitt. This is like the coolest song I ever heard in my whole life. Owen McDevitt. All of you said I wouldn't make Stop it. Stop talking about Tom Finney. He said I was a loser. This guy is a bit of a turkey. <laughs> All right. He said I was a fucking soccer. But look at me now. All up in the interweb. Owen McDevitt. Worldwide. The new World Federated Championship. Owen McDevitt. Owen McDevitt. To say, for example, the Barcelona team you worked at. Is it fair to say anybody could have managed those guys? No, of course not. Yeah, sounds like Doug and Lisa's will be a more chilled out affair at this time. Mm. Lisa's beloved patriots aren't involved. Yeah, <laughs> it sounds like she can just relax and enjoy the game. Enjoy the game know? for once, yeah. I was but, worried about her last year, you know, the nerves, tension. Why do politicians think that they have to pretend to be big sports fans? Um, so so Hillary so Hillary Clinton pretends to support the Yankees when previously she supported the Cubs or whatever it was. It, it, it doesn't matter. You don't have to be sports nuts. People will still vote for you. David Cameron had a famous gaffe last year, didn't he? Wasn't it David Cameron? Yeah, forgot what club he Yeah, it was supported. either West Ham, Villa. Not quite sure. Doesn't matter. Rumps a victory in the general election. Yeah. Um, I suppose it's to appeal to Joe Sixpack on. <laughs> yeah. uh, Not Sixpack in the sense of those no. muscles across your stomach. That um, slice of the electorate that's uh, stupid enough to vote for somebody based on the fact that they empathise with them liking, apparently liking sport. It's fraught with danger, though, if you get it wrong, then. Yeah. I mean, to be to be fair, the Cameron thing, the Cameron... <laughs> um, the, yeah, he, he's much more famous for forgetting that he supported Villa than for supporting Villa. Mm. That is true. Um, there was another brilliant Cameron one... Ah, I'm trying to remember exactly the details of it now. I think it was in the previous election, yeah. where he was uh, he he was he was at some school, you know, trying to trying to talk football with all the, the kids. And uh, Jesus, just brilliant! Like, it's on it's on YouTube. You know, someone tries to ask him, you know, who do you think will get fourth spot? And Cameron's like, "What?" <laughs> he just, I mean, he Actually, he's going to win the league. I, well, mean, I could no, definitely can't, bullshit can't, my way through that. He can't make out the accent. He can't. He can't understand the, what the guy is trying to well, say I mean, to him. Imagine for a moment that you don't know anything about football, and someone asks you to predict fourth. You know, it's like being asked to predict ninth. Mm. You know, like who cares? <laughs> like who cares about fourth? I mean, you're not even in the medals mm. as far think, as David Cameron's concerned. I think he eventually predicted Tottenham, which oh, that's always good. Would have been correct. Uh, just in general, as a course of action, it's usually wise mm. to go for Spurs. Yeah. I mean, it's not the easy fourth. answer, you know. 
Uh, but they're always in the shake-up. Murph, this TV marathon in front of the couch over the weekend hit me. What time does it start and what time does it end? Ooh, well, you want to be tuned into whatever Sky Sports channel they show the golf on at around 6 a.m. I mean, I'm not asking you to get up for, you know, every shot. But 6 a.m. you'll see most of the leaders. This uh, Dubai Desert Classic, right? Yeah, Dubai Desert Classic. And then... Um, then you can probably check out around 4 a.m. Monday morning, depending on how much, just how much of the Super Bowl post-game show. I mean, that must be some of the most unwatched television on this side of the Atlantic, anyway. They haven't really covered themselves in glory this week, I have to say, Sky. In what sense? Well, in the sense of, I mean, there were certain matches that I wanted to see this week and very different things being shown on Sky. I mean, there was someone actually tweeted a thing earlier, while Barcelona uh, were ripping Valencia to shreds, Sky were showing this and, you know, like a, a, a little bit of the game that they were showing on Sky, which was just a, like the most apish possible exchange of long balls and headers. Just just two teams heading the ball back into each other's half, you know, for, you know, well, you, 15, well, you 20 seconds. We Sky Sports 4 last night. Kabaddi. Yeah. They had like a half hour. It could have been more than a half hour, actually. I'm not entirely sure. But it was like the Kabaddi World Championships was on Sky Sports what, 4. What it's, it's arrived. Have you, ah. listened to, have you listened to myself and Murph It's his birthday, it's his birthday. So or don't. Simon or Mark. Yeah. Do you listen to our conversations? It was our favourite sport from our childhood. No, I don't. Transworld uh, sport. I don't listen. What, what, what is it? Uh, what do they do? No, forget no, it. We'll, forget we'll take this up at a later date. But what, uh, what happens? I mean, do my own, I might not be the only person who doesn't know what this is. Well, you, you're the only one of our long-term listeners who doesn't know what this is. Because <laughs> 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 we've bored the arse off people... Uh, on this quite well, I wiki it just to try and get yeah, go on, you might it. as well. It's a contact sport that originated, originated in ancient India. Kabaddi is an umbrella term, which oh no, okay, this could go on for far too long, actually. <laughs> you know, when you start getting into the uh, what etymology, do they do? Of is it. there a ball? No, there's no ball, it's sort of like team chasing, it's like bulldogs charge. So one person has to get to the other end of this little court, you might call it. Yeah, while not how being, do I spell it? C A B K A D D I B A D D I, while uh, not, uh, not being. T- he has to hold his breath while saying kabaddi, kabaddi, kabaddi repeatedly. <laughs> God, this is like a Beckett play. Like, honestly, 15 years from now, I could, st- I could see, I see the three of us sitting out here with Ken asking us what kabaddi is, and you saying he has to hold his breath uh, every time we start talking. It's, I, that's what flashes about you saying he has to hold his breath and say kabaddi, kabaddi, kabaddi. He has to hold his breath. <laughs> uh, that's pretty much it for this show. Thanks very much, Ken. Thank you. Owen. I know you're still reading up on Kabaddi there. We, you've we're got all day. Yeah. You've got all day. We've got a football Special podcast. Day for you, Ken. Uh, thank you, Owen. Thank you, Ken. And once again, a very um, a very happy birthday to Ken. You're given the weekend that's in it. You know, it is Ireland Wales after all. We haven't heard from the character in quite a while, but uh, happy birthday to, you know who I'm talking about, Murph. Mm-hmm. Ken Burley. As you know, on Friday's show, we were joined by Ken Burley, uh, a sports journalist <laughs> in Dublin. Uh, delighted to say that Ken uh, is fronting up tonight well, and, has, after, really and, and has joined guts. us on the Real Radio Sports phone in. Ken, good evening. Good evening. How are you? <laughs> <laughs> that sounded very cheap, Mr. Burley. Real, mild, mannered Ken. Can't stop thinking about the game. Can't stop imagining what a great week it would have been in Ireland. Can't stop mentally replaying the missed kicks and the hope that this time they'll clear the post. Can't stop wishing there'd been a different referee. Can't stop thinking he should have issued a red card, not a yellow one. Can't stop questioning why he took such a short time to make such a big call. Can't help feeling his decision showed little empathy for the players, the occasion, the game. Can't stop wanting to ask the ref why. Can't stop feeling sad. Rob, again, again, you're not telling me that you thought Ireland were the better side yesterday. Well, I'm, 
I'm saying the game turned on a, on a very yeah. important uh, decision. No, by the no, no, was no, later. no. The game, no, the, the game. Ken, let's be fair, that was well into the second half of the game. The game, basically, was... was Wales were by far the better side, Ken. You've got to admit that. Well, I thought I thought that tackle was a disgrace. And officials know that they... <laughs> what about the non-tackles on... They're going to be set upon by the entire nation. What about the non-tackles on, on George North? He kept bouncing you up. I thought you were beach balls for a couple of games. Yeah. Eh? After what happened, <laughs> yeah, yeah. I know it's more yeah. it's more hassle than it's worth sending a guy off. Uh, Wales have shown if you squeal long enough so, and loudly enough. So answer this, Ken. So answer this, Ken. Penalty for Wales at the end where Halfpenny wins it with a tackle. Well, you know, I mean, I suppose these decisions can go either way. I'm still confident. I mean, I still think Ireland are favourites for this tournament and uh, uh, the Ken. competition. Ken, you want, you, 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 you want to be sent to the funny farm, mate. <laughs> shadow. That's shadow. <laughs> that's, uh, with the greatest a respect. Sh- a shadow of previous Irish teams. Th- th- that th- was th- yesterday. Th- should be, and, uh, mm, that was yeah. a poor display. And they're going out to France, and I can't see them catching anything in France. I can. Well, look, France, France, you need to be afraid. I mean, from what I've seen, Eros is going to be back. Now, I know that Wales have gone for beef in the, in the central positions. Earls <laughs> is a little experiment in nanotechnology that we've got. I think you're going to be impressed with the results. Well, we'll wait you and certainly see. will be. I, I'm not sure I will be. We'll wait and see. You. Ken, listen, Ken. always a pleasure to talk to you, and um, thanks for uh, putting out uh, a weekend side to uh, to play us this weekend to ensure that we uh, get the win. So thank you very much yeah, for that. I'm, I'm you too. A, a you too, I'll see you in Euro 2012. <laughs> <laughs> Ken, listen, all the best for the rest of the Six Nations and, uh, and thank, you, thank you for joining us on the show. Top man. I'm going to feed Willie John, he's starving. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. 